Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. How are we doing? Good. Hey, uh, two things before we get going. Um, the first, I just want to double back on that video you saw. Um, Wednesday night is going to be a big night in the life of our church. And uh, we are going to come and we're going to worship together. But we're also going to get after the Lord in prayer. And uh, at the Harvest, we believe firmly in the power of prayer. And uh, we believe that um, if God is not building the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And that's true of our church and that's true of our lives. So we have actually reached out to uh, 10 or 12 people in our church who have very significant um, needs or are in very significant trials that they're going through. And we said, hey, can, can we get your name and kind of let the church know what's going on in your life? Because we want to pray over you guys together as a corporate body. And we're going to do that on Wednesday night. And we're also going to be praying that the Lord does stuff in our lives and in our hearts. And it's going to be an important night for us. So as much as I could encourage you, you need to be there. It's going to be a powerful evening. Mark that on your calendars. Don't miss it Wednesday night South Campus and uh, if you have your Bibles um, open them up to Matthew 6 we're going to be in Matthew 6 uh, this morning and if you don't have a Bible just raise your hand and we'll get one to you if you don't own a Bible consider it our gift to you again we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 and uh, the other thing that I want to bring you up to speed on so if you can just give me your eyes for a second um, this is our uh, Fourth and fifth services of the weekend. We have two campuses. We have one service that meets here Saturday night, two here, and then two at our south campus. So in the first three services that we've had this weekend, the Lord has moved in powerful and significant ways. Um, this is a weekend here at our church where God's spirit seems to be stirring in the hearts of our people. And I have uh, met with more people with tears in their eyes, with um, people confessing uh, patterns of sin that the Lord is revealing to them and giving them freedom from. Here, here's what I'm trying to say. This is an important moment for you, and it's an important weekend for our church. The Lord seems to be moving in a significant way, and here's why. Because what Jesus is going to teach us this morning is hitting us directly where we live. Um, Jesus is going to talk about something that I think has um, been a part of or shaped all of our lives. And, and I want to warn you off the bat, this is going to also be a little bit uncomfortable. Because Jesus is going to do some surgery on our hearts. And when you have surgery, um, sometimes there's a little bit of pain involved. But that pain is so that we might be healed. And the reason I say that is what Jesus is talking about this morning, what we're going to look at in his word. Jesus is going to talk about the issue of anxiety in our lives. And what do we do with fear and anxiety? So if I could ask you to be honest at church this morning, how many of you guys have had seasons in your life marked by fear or anxiety? Am I the only one or are there hands up? All right, raise them up. Keep them up. Look, you're not alone. And I would argue if you're here and you're not raising your hand and you're like, I've never once like struggled with fear and anxiety, we should be worried about you, right? <laughs> There's something like not exactly right there. And the truth is we live in a broken world and as part of the world that we live in, fear and anxiety are real things. So let's uh, look at verse 25. You can follow along as I read. We're gonna read through verse 34 and Jesus is going to hit this dead on. Here's what he says. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus begins this message by saying, uh, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. And I wonder, is there a word that the United States in 2018 needs to hear more than that? Do not be anxious. Do you know that we are the most anxious society in the history of mankind? That there is not a moment or a place where more people are locked up with fear, worry, and anxiety than the United States in 2018? Well, Cal, how do you know? Well, I've got stats to back it up. On May in 2018, so this is just like a month and a half ago, the American Psychiatric Association, they released their results of their most recent poll about anxiety in America. And here's some of the things they found. They said that 40% of Americans feel like they are more anxious than they were a year ago at this time. So almost half of Americans are saying, yeah, today I am more anxious, I am struggling with this more than I was a year ago. It's getting worse. 18% of Americans have a diagnosed anxiety disorder. Now, um, that's pretty wild when you consider that the worldwide average of people diagnosed with an anxiety disorder is 7%. So we are over two times more likely to have an anxiety disorder in America than we would anywhere else in the world. And here's where it gets crazy. Young people, this is increasing almost exponentially. It says that somewhere between 25 and 30% of young people, people in high school or in college, are diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. There are some studies that say as high as 38% of young girls in America have an anxiety disorder. When I hear that, when I hear that almost four out of 10 young girls have an anxiety disorder, you know what that makes me feel? It makes me feel anxious. Like that's terrifying. And I see the young people in our church and in the community and my heart breaks. But, but here's what the statistics are showing us. That we are two, three, four, five times more likely to struggle with anxiety than anywhere else in the world. And what that shows us is there is something distinctly broken in the American psyche that is causing us to become anxious. Which is wild if you think about it, right? Because wouldn't we say we're the greatest country in the world? that we're the land of the free and the home of the brave, that we by every definition are a world superpower. We are economically a world superpower. We are uh, you know, financially, uh, militarily, land people. We're just not in the World Cup, right? And that's a different conversation for another day. But like almost in every area, we are a world superpower. And yet, 
there is something ingrained in us as Americans that causes us to become anxious. We're going to get to why that is in a few minutes. But here's my big idea for this morning. It's this, as kingdom citizens, my or our fear bows down to the one who loves me and is in control. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we have the ability not to be ruled by worry and anxiety. That God has given us a gift in calling us his children, that we have something to do with our fear. We can give that to the Lord so we don't have to be ruled by anxiety. Jesus was dialed in to the reality of fear and anxiety in our world. And he's saying, listen, I have come to bring hope. And so if we're going to talk about anxiety, we need to start at the beginning. And we need to talk about the birthplace of anxiety. Do you know where anxiety was born? It was born in the Garden of Eden. And uh, if you remember the story, God creates the world in six days, right? He creates all the plants. He creates all the animals. He separates the light from the darkness. And on the sixth day, he puts Adam and Eve in the garden. He creates man. And then he says, it is good. Okay, so here's what that means. That means when God says it's good, it means it's perfect. It is without sin. It is without brokenness. So the reality for Adam and Eve before the fall, before sin, was that there was no death, there was no illness, there was no sickness, there was no sexual brokenness or sexual tension, there was no marital strife, there was no job-related stress. They were in perfect relationship with one another and in perfect relationship with their creator. There is nothing in their life that could even trigger stress, fear, or anxiety. The world was perfect. All right, but you remember the story, right? The serpent deceives Eve and says, here, eat of the fruit that God commanded you not to. It's going to make you like God. Eve's like, that's a good idea. Adam doesn't protect his wife's heart in this moment. They eat of the fruit together and sin enters the world. And in that moment, fear and anxiety were born because creation was broken. You see it in Genesis 3. Up on the screen, we have Genesis 3, 8 through 13. You can follow along. Look what happens. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And man and his wife, look at this, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Not the best answer, right men? <laughs> then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So you see how in this moment... Now there is fear and anxiety entering the world. They're hiding themselves from God. There is guilt. There is shame. There is fear. There is self-realization, self-awareness. There is now relational conflict. They're blame-shifting, throwing each other under the bus. And then in the way that God punishes their sin, there is more reasons for us to have fear and anxiety because then God says, listen, because of your sin, you're going to die. There's, a, there's an anxiety trigger, right? 
There's going to be increased pain in childbirth. Work is going to become harder. There's going to be um, war. There's going to be uh, death. People are going to hate one another. Now the animals are turning on each other and eating each other. Creation is broken. Fear and anxiety enter the world. We need to understand the reality that fear and anxiety are a direct result of the fall. Before sin, there was no reason to fear or have anxiety. That all changed at the moment we turned our back from God. The result of sin is that fear and anxiety have entered the heart of man. So I know what some of you guys are thinking. Whoa, 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 Cal. Are you saying that all fear and anxiety is sinful? Are you really expecting me to believe that? I'm not saying that. But you need to hang with me and pay attention because what I'm about to say is really important. We have to get this. Fear is the natural physiological response to a scary situation, right? Something scary happens in our lives and we feel fear. And that is normal and natural and not a sin. Here's a biblical example. Do you remember the night that Jesus was born? There was a bunch of shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And then what happened? A multitude of angels came out of the sky and flew down and got right in their face. Do you know the first thing they said? They said, fear not, don't be afraid. Why did they say that? Because if I'm a shepherd and I'm minding my own business and all of a sudden I see the sky open and a bunch of heavenly beings flying down, I'm terrified, right? That's scary. Like if I'm the shepherd, I'm like, dude, I'm so pumped to go see baby Jesus. I just need to go change my pants first, right? (laughs) Like that would be scary. So he says, fear not. Fear can even be a gift from the Lord to keep us safe. If you're hiking up in the UP, I don't know why you would do that, but just say you did, and you come across a bear, right? Hopefully your response should be fear that would get you to a safe place. We all know how the story ended for Timothy Treadwell, the guy that lived in Alaska with the bears. Not great, right? Fear can be a thing that protects us from the reality of danger in our broken world. A loved one gets diagnosed with cancer, right? There's real fear there. Your job is lost. There is real fear there. Your child gets sick. There is real fear. But here's what you need to understand. Fear is based in a real situation. And it is not sin, but it is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to sin by spiraling into worry and anxiety or it's an opportunity to press into faith and trust in worship. Let me say that again. Fear is based in a real situation, and it's not a sin, but it's a decision point. Am I going to choose faith and trust in worship, or am I going to spiral into worry and anxiety? Because see, worry and anxiety almost all the time, and we'll get into that in a sec, is based in a potential future outcome, and that is an attack on God's character. When I fear and worry and have anxiety about what might happen down the road based on something that hasn't happened yet but could possibly happen, that becomes an attack on God's character. Let let me explain it to you as clearly as I can. Um, My wife and I, we've been married 10 years, and uh, my wife is just the best. She's just been the perfect spouse. I love her with all of my heart. I wouldn't trade her for anything in the world ever. And uh, for our 10-year anniversary, we we went away, and uh, we went somewhere warm and and stayed at a resort. And and this didn't happen, but I just want to give you a hypothetical scenario. Imagine Mary and I are on our 10-year anniversary, and I become depressed. 
and, and I'm down and I'm moody and I don't want to go out and do anything and I just want to just sit in the hotel room and be miserable. And Mary's like, Cal, what's up with you? We're on our 10-year anniversary. Why are you depressed? And I tell Mary, well, Mary, I just, I, I love you so much. And the t last 10 years have been so amazing, but I'm not sure you're going to want to stay with me during the next 10 years. Like, I'm not sure you're still going to love me in 10 years from now. And you might find someone better to live your life with. You, you might just get sick of putting up with me. And, and I just love you so much. And, and I've loved these 10 years, but I'm not sure that you're going to be faithful. And I don't know if I can trust you for the next 10 years. How would that go for me with my wife? Right? And all God's people said thumbs down, right? Because what, what have I done? I've attacked my wife's character. I said, I don't know if you're going to be good. I don't know if you're going to be faithful. I don't know if you're really going to love me and stay with me. Okay, hear this. When we spiral into worry and anxiety over future events that haven't occurred, aren't we doing the same thing to God? Aren't we saying, God, I don't know if you're going to be with me in this situation. I don't know if you love me. I don't know if you're in control. I don't know if I can trust you. So I've got to obsess and I've got to take these things on to myself. I believe worry has become a socially acceptable sin where we are low grade attacking the character of God and saying, I don't know if you're in control. I don't know if you're trustworthy. I don't know if you're good. How we deal with our fears and where and how we offload our worry and anxiety is what determines whether or not our fear has crossed over into sin. Listen, it's not wrong to think about what if scenarios. It's what do you do with those thoughts? Like, like, let me give you an example. For those of you who are single, right, and you desire to be married... Right? It could be nervous, like, well, what if I can't find Mr. or, or Mrs. Right? What, what if that person doesn't come along? And, and what if I don't find that person? Okay, thinking that isn't a sin. It's what do you do with that thought? Because you have an opportunity to say, listen, I'm going to trust the Lord. And the Lord knows the desires of my heart. He loves me more than anyone else could ever love me anyways. And I'm going to press into him. I'm going to chase after him. And God will provide the right person for me when he decides to do it. I can trust the Lord or I can settle. And because I'm desperate to be with someone and desperate to get married, I'll go uh, marry someone who doesn't know the Lord, who doesn't love the Lord, but loves me. And even though that's not what God would have for me, even though now I'm going to become unequally yoked and the rest of my life is going to be much more difficult and much more painful, the fear in the moment of not finding someone takes over my heart. And because I'm running to anxiety, I settle for someone I have no business being with. And I sacrifice my principles in the process. You see, it's a choice. And listen, I used a hypothetical example there, but you know that's a real thing for young people all the time. I've had so many young people that I've worked with where the fear of being alone has driven them to be with people they have no business being with and it has caused a world of pain in their hearts. It's a real thing, right? The fact that we are all gonna die one day, right? That can be scary to think about. The reality of death that all of us one day will breathe our last breath. But what do we do with those thoughts? I can trust that God is good that my citizenship is in heaven and this is as close to hell as I'll ever get and to be with the Lord is better than to be here. I can truly believe those things or I can freak out about the fact that I'm going to die. 
And so all of a sudden, you know what I'm not going to do anymore? I'm not going to shake anyone's hands because you know what's on dirty people's hands? Germs. You know what germs do? Germs kill people. And I'm not going to drive in my car because people get in car accidents and I can only control me. I can't control what you all crazy drivers are doing. And you know what happens to people in car accidents? They die. And I'm not going to eat solid food anymore because if I don't chew it well enough, it could get lodged in my throat and I could choke. And you know what happens to people who choke? They die. Right? So before you know it, you're at your house all by yourself drinking smoothies and life has gotten really weird. Right? <laughs> we can obsess over the reality of death, which leads us to worry and anxiety in the bad places. Okay, and I need you to hear me. There are certain cases that are rare where anxiety can be the result of a physical condition. There are people in our church who have had a brain tumor, and because of surgery and radiation, their brain chemistry has actually changed, which makes them more susceptible to anxiety. That's a real thing. And listen... PTSD is a real thing. And I know people who struggle with flashbacks from trauma that have happened in their life that can be very, very real and very, very scary for them. Okay, so I'm not discounting that there aren't physical reasons for anxiety, but what I'm saying is, is those are the exception and it's not the rule. The vast, 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 vast majority of the anxiety we struggle with, it's because we are not offloading our worries about the future to the Lord and we're carrying them on to ourselves. You got me? If you got it, say, I got it. Okay. A life consumed with fear and anxiety is incompatible with the right view of God. So how do we as a culture respond to the, this anxiety epidemic? We know there's something broken in Americans. How do we fix this? We'll throw up the next slide. This is how culture attempts to fix the issue. We medicate. And the primary uh, medication we use for anxiety is... Xanax. If you go to the doctor and say, hey, I'm struggling with anxiety, this is most likely what you'll get. Here's what's interesting about Xanax. If you look up the medical description of what Xanax is, it says it's a uh, tranquilizer for the purpose of providing short-term relief for the symptoms of anxiety. So basically what it's saying is it's a chemical band-aid. When you feel anxious, you take it, it'll make that go away for a while, and you got to use it again when the anxiety returns. It's not fixing the issue. It's putting a Band-Aid on it. Same thing with our other methods, right? We need to be healthier. We'll lose some weight, work out, you'll feel better, you'll probably be less anxious. Stay away and identify what your triggers are. Unplug from technology. Even secular psychiatrists are like, listen, social media is making anxiety way worse. It's not making it better. And it makes sense, right? Because if, if I'm looking on Instagram and I see everyone living their best life, having so much fun, looking great with the right filters, and I'm at my home on my couch eating Cheetos, I'm not feeling great about myself right now, right? It's like, oh my goodness, I'm a piece of trash. And you're also keenly aware, even when you do post things, people only pay attention to you as long as it takes for them to swipe up to the next thing. Nobody really cares. Nobody really pays attention. It's all fake. And it leads to anxiety. Unplug from technology or develop coping strategies. And here's the thing. All of these help deal with the symptoms of anxiety. Okay, church, but you have to hear this. This is what I love about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not come to earth to pass out Band-Aids. He came to heal. And what Jesus is saying is, listen... Anxiety was born because of sin. It is a spiritual issue. And because of that, there is hope for healing found in me. 
That there can be true freedom from anxiousness when we offload our fears correctly to the Lord, that we don't have to stay the same way as we are right now. If uh, my son who's in children's ministry right now, Bo, if um, after the service, a children's worker brought him to me and Bo was screaming and writhing in pain. And the worker was like, hey, I'm so sorry, but Bo fell in class and he dislocated his ankle and it's broken. We can't set it back into place. Um, you need to take him to a hospital. Okay, if my response was, well, hey, thanks, but we're not going to go anywhere. I'm just going to pray about it. Right? Yeah, someone's laughing. Like that worker would be like, you're insane. And if you're not going to take him to the doctor, I'm going to take him for you. So listen, just as crazy as it would be for me to hold my son with a broken ankle and not consider that there might be a physical solution to his pain, it's just as crazy to look at our worry and anxiety and not even consider the fact that there's something spiritual going on. Because worry and anxiety was born because of a spiritual issue at the fall of mankind. So why, are, why do we grow anxious? What are some of the reasons we grow anxious? Well, here's the first reason. We grow anxious because we live in a broken kingdom. We live in a broken kingdom. The whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus comparing and contrasting the kingdom of heaven with the kingdom of earth. And Jesus is saying, listen, there's a new way forward that's better and that we live in a broken world. And if you remember, if you were here week one, we put up five words that shape our culture in America in 2018. Here they are on the screen, right? These are the kind of the five things that shape us as a society. We love freedom. We're the land of the free. We're the home of the brave. I have the freedom to, to live my own life, to worship how I want, to, to do what I want with my own body. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. But here's the truth. If I'm truly free, doesn't that also mean that everything's dependent on me and I've got to make my own way? I've got to do everything. I've got to shoulder life all by myself. That can lead to anxiety, right? We um, love advancement, right? Advancing technology, Right? That by the time you get your new phone, it's already not cool anymore. There's something better out there. Right? My grandfather, who died in the 90s, society would hardly be recognizable to him. New cars, new homes, right? advancing. But then we also idolize advancing in life. Right? I've got to get that next promotion. I've got to get that next job. I've got to buy that next house. My kids are in like 27 different after-school activities because they need to advance because they're so special. Right? And it can lead, I need to do more, I need to do more, I need to do more. There's natural anxiety there. Our lives are loud, noise, and this is primary, so, primarily social media. I get up in the morning and I checked my phone and I've got 237 new Twitter posts that I gotta catch up on. There's always someone talking, there's always someone in my ear, I have to always keep up, there's always something happening. Right, we idolize glory being the best, achieving. You know, I read an article on medium.com and it was by a doctor and it said one of the reasons our young people struggle so much with anxiety, it's two reasons. They've been coddled for way too long and people have set way too high of expectations. So at the same moment when we've been telling our kids, hey, you don't need to get a job. You can just stay at home and play video games all day because you're special and you're a snowflake and you're so amazing and you're going to change the world. What happens is they enter into society and they realize they haven't created the new Facebook by the time they're 24. So they're freaking out like I'm a failure. We've coddled, but then we've also set unreachable expectations, which builds up anxiety in our young people. And then there's fear and anger and politics and unrest. All of this leads to increasing anxiety. We live in a broken world, in a broken kingdom. Here's the second reason 
we become anxious is we choose to carry unnecessary burdens. We choose to carry unnecessary burdens. Look back to Matthew 6.1. It says this. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And then in Matthew 6, 24, it says, nobody can serve two masters. So you have two things going on. The first is, hey, don't live for the approval of other people. Don't practice your righteousness just so you're seen by others. Okay, so let, let's play this out for, for an instance. So imagine that like I um, really, really want to impress the Medema family. Because I think they're super smart and they're super cool. And, and I want to live for their approval. So guess what I have to do? I've always got to impress them. And I've got to have my best foot forward. I've always got to be polite. I can never mess up. And I never really know if they truly like me or if they think I'm a loser and they're just being nice. Well, what are they saying when I'm not around? Well, what do they really think of me, right? It's a never-ending cycle when I live for the approval of others. And here's the truth. They're not perfect people anyways. And they might be mean to me just because they're sinful. It has nothing even to do with me, but that will shatter me. When I live for the approval of others, I'm carrying a burden that I have no ability to lift myself. It's going to lead to anxiety. And then the second reason is no one can serve two masters. And when we live a duplicitous life, when we say we're one thing but actually living another way, our hearts become filled with anxiety because we're worried about getting caught. When I say, man, I'm doing great, everything's fine, I'm doing awesome, good to see you. When in reality, I have a secret addiction that's tearing my heart out inside and my wife and I haven't had a meaningful conversation in three months, but I've got to keep on this facade like, hey man, I'm good, everything's cool, I'm doing great. There's going to be this low-grade anxiety that, man, if people knew what was really going on, I would be rejected because I'm a fraud. You could ask any of our pastors and they would tell you that when we meet with people, People will come in and they will be shaking and they will be terrified. It's like, hey, there's some things going on in my life that's not pretty. But when they confess that and we pray with them and we talk through it with them and we give them a plan for, for growth and healing, you know what they say almost every time the conversation's over? Man, that feels good to have it off my chest. It's good to be known. It's good to be honest. There's a relief from anxiety because we're simply honest with where we're at. You are choosing to lock yourself in a prison of anxiety when you won't trust that the people of God will love you and will come around you. We shoulder burdens we can't carry. Here's the third one. We forget our citizenship is in heaven. We forget our citizenship is in heaven. Look back a couple of verses to Matthew 6, 19. Jesus says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, here's what Jesus is saying. Look here. He's saying that when you live for the things of this earth, when you forget that your home is in heaven and this is just a pit stop, when you forget that, you're playing a losing game. Listen, because everything you're living for right now, that motorcycle, that car, that hobby, that boat, that house, it's not going to matter in 10,000 years. It's just not. So if our hope is in that thing, listen, I don't care how good you look now and how your summer beach bod is now. In 100 years, it's not going to matter. So if your hope is in that thing, you're ultimately playing a losing game and that breeds worry and anxiety. 
It's funny, I was talking to Pastor Phil this week, and we were talking about how crazy it is that America is so advanced, we're such a superpower, and yet we're riddled with anxiety. And Phil said something that was super wise. He goes, Cal, I think the reason we're so anxious is because we've tried to make America heaven. Right? We all have nice things. We have nice stuff. Life is relatively comfortable. And we've said, no, 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 this is my heaven. This is my kingdom. And because we're living for a false kingdom, the result is we become anxious. We forget that our citizenship is in heaven. And Colossians 3 says this. It says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. What he's saying is, listen, set your mind on what is true and what your real life is. That our real life begins when we are reunited with Christ. Everything else is just a pit stop on the journey. Listen, this is as close to hell as we will ever get because our reality is in heaven. We are hidden with Christ in God. Well, how do I set my mind on the things that are above? Paul lays this out in Philippians 4.8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You see that? That when we set our mind on the things that are above, that are good, that are just, that are holy, that are worthy of praise. So even if I'm in a difficult situation and I set my mind, listen, I have so much to be thankful for Jesus for. I have so much to be thankful for God for. He's been kind. He's been faithful. He's been good. The God of peace comes and enters my heart. The result is peace. The more we try to make this place home, this world heaven, the more filled with anxiety we're going to be. Then here's the fourth reason. We disconnect from our king. We disconnect from our king. All right, listen. You know you have a created purpose, that you weren't created as a moral free agent to do what you want, but that you were created with the purpose of knowing and worshiping and loving your creator. All right, so here's the truth. When we disconnect from that, when we stop doing that, the result is always going to be anxiety because we're not living our created purpose. Everyone would agree that isolation breeds anxiety, right? So when we isolate ourselves from our creator, why should we be surprised that anxiety increases in our life? Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So here's what Paul is saying is, listen, when you're feeling fear, go to the Lord. He's saying, listen, if you go to the Lord, if you press into your creator, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There is a healthy way to offload our fear, and it is going to our creator. Jesus made it a habit to get alone and pray so that he would have peace. And, and listen, here's the truth. I know in my life, when I disconnect from God, meaning I'm not in his word like I should be, when I'm not praying and seeking after him like he would have me, or when I'm not in worship, guess what happens? I become moody, I become grumpy, and I become more anxious, 
right? And all the other pastors on staff would say amen right now if they were here. It's a real thing. We need to be connected with our creator if we're going to experience his peace. All right, and then real quick, I want to talk about the two realities of worry. This is what Jesus lays out for us in verse 27. It's this, worry doesn't help, and all it does is rob us of our joy. Look at verse 27. It says this, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And what Jesus is doing here is he's making fun of us. He's saying, hey, that anxiety thing, how's it going? He's saying, is it helping? Are you living longer because you're anxious? Is it making anything better? Have any of you ever been like, man, I got in the car, had a panic attack, freaked out, and then everything was fixed? It doesn't work. And he's saying, so we have to deal with it in a way that's healthy. Okay, please hear me. Do you know that we have an enemy? And that enemy is real, and he's smart, and he knows us well. And so one of the things Satan is always going to do is he's going to plant fears and lies into our mind. Because he says, listen, if I can get you locked up with worry and anxiety, you're not going to have the joy that's available to you in the Christian life. That God wants you to have joy and peace. One of the gifts of the Spirit is joy. And Satan knows if I can get you focused on worry and about what might happen in the future, you're not going to have joy today. Okay, but here's what Satan also knows, is that if we can get locked up with worry and anxiety, we're no longer going to shine for the kingdom of heaven. You want to have a testimony for Christ? The best way you do that is when you go through a trial or a scary situation, you say, I'm going to choose trust and faith and joy. That I believe that God is good and he's in control and I'm going to have joy even though the circumstances are scary. That's how you impact people for Christ. And Satan knows he can rob us of that if he locks us up in anxiety. Okay, so here's what we need to do with just the few minutes we have left. We need to talk about, all right, what does victory look like in this? Jesus came to say, I'm giving you a new way forward, that there is hope and there is healing when we identify that this is a spiritual issue and when we cast these things to the Lord. So what does this new way forward look like? If we're going to choose faith in the face of fear, Here's the first thing we need to do. We need to be shaped by what we know is true. We need to be shaped by what we know is true. And what's true is, is that God is in control and that God loves me and that he values me. Look what Jesus does in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Here's what he's saying. He's saying every bird in the air, and later he even amps it up. And he says, I know about every flower and every blade of grass. And he goes, listen, you are more valuable than those things. And I meet every single one of their needs. Don't you believe that I'm going to meet your needs as well? You want to know if God values you? He just said right there, he values you more than anything else in creation. Then look what he does in 31. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. Do you notice that in both verse 26 and 31, he calls God our heavenly Father? And he's saying, listen, your heavenly Father knows you, and he loves you, so you don't need to be riddled with anxiety. What Jesus is saying is, listen, God is more intimately in control of every detail in your life, more than you would ever believe. 
He is more powerful than you could ever know. And he loves you and values you more than you would ever imagine. Okay, so here's what this means. It means if we're going to have victory over worry and anxiety in our lives, we have to believe and shape our lives around what is true. That God is good, that he is faithful, that he is in control of everything, and he loves us and values us. Church, that is truth. It's not cheesy or pithy Christian sayings. It is our reality, and we need to hold on to that like an anchor. This issue of anxiety has hit us really close to home, my family, in the last six months. I have a daughter who's seven years old. Her name is Ashley, and uh, she's such a sweet girl. I love her so much. And about six months ago, um, she started to really struggle with anxiousness. And um, she is the most spiritually in-tuned out of all of our kids. And, and here's what the anxiousness stemmed from. She was like, if I do something wrong, if I fail, is God still going to love me? Or are mommy and daddy still going to love me anymore? And here's how it would play out in her life. It, it got to the point where um, Ashley, who used to be so fun and so sweet, I'd be like, hey, Ashley, how'd school go today? And she wouldn't answer. And she wouldn't answer because she was so locked up with worry that if she said the wrong thing or if she didn't communicate rightly or clearly that everyone was going to get mad at her so she couldn't even answer. She would never answer anything or say anything without saying maybe first because she didn't want to accidentally lie and then have God be mad at her or her family be mad at her and she would weep and weep and cry. So guess what we did? Every day for three months, over and over and over again, we began to shape Ashley's life by what was true. It was, hey, Ashley... You are created and loved and adored by God. And he loves you more than you will ever know. And no matter what you do, even if it's wrong, it's not going to change God's love for you. And you are loved by your mommy and daddy. You are such a precious gift to us. We're always going to love you. We're never going to let you leave the house. We're going to lock you away in the basement forever. You're always going to be ours. Okay, we didn't do that last part. Okay, but listen, every day... For months, we were shaping Ashley's thoughts by what is true. You are loved. You are valued. God is in control. These things are never changing. Okay, church, hear this. Six months later, Ashley's not anxious anymore. And she has replaced the worry and anxiety with what is true in our heart. And, and listen, she is more joyful and more in love with the Lord and more full of life than she's ever been. Kate, you nanny for us. You know this is true, right? I'm not lying. It's real. So, so listen, the victory over worry and anxiety, I'm not talking about what ifs. I'm talking about what I've experienced. It's real and it's true because God is alive and he's working and he's faithful. But it's never going to happen unless we shape our lives around what is true. So what does that mean to shape our lives? Well, how many of you like music? Okay, you know how it happens when you get a new song you like? So like Ryan sent me a song yesterday and he's like, hey, here's a new song I think our church is going to love. Listen to it. Tell me what you think. And I listened to the song and I liked it. I thought it was great, but I've only listened to it one time. So if you were to ask me, hey, Cal, what's that song like? I couldn't tell you. I don't remember the words. I, I don't remember the melody. I don't remember the lyrics. I don't remember how the song goes. All right. But what happens when you listen to the same song 10 times? Then it becomes familiar. Right? And then there's songs we've all listened to hundreds of times or thousands of times where it's like as soon as you hear the first note, you know exactly what song it is and you know every word 
right? That's what it means to be shaped by something. We need to be telling ourselves this so often that as soon as we face a scary situation, we're singing the song over us. God is good. He's in control. He's faithful. He loves and values me. He is good. It's not something that I can just tell you every week or that your small group leader can tell you three times a month. This has to be a every day, multiple times shape our lives. Here's the second thing we need. We need to remember God's character. We need to remember God's character. Look what Jesus does in verse 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. So rather than going into worry and anxiety, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Here's what he's saying. Is God righteous? How many of you would say amen to that? Okay, so listen. Here's what I'm saying. Don't doubt what you know to be true in the light just because you've entered a dark season. Right, the best way I've heard this says is don't doubt in the darkness what God has made known to you in the light. You guys would all say God is faithful, he is good, he keeps his promises, he never changes, he never lies. So in the moments when we are facing scary situations, we need to go back to who God's character is. Our hope is not in our circumstance, it's in the character of the God we serve. And then look how Jesus finishes in verse 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The last thing we need to do is we need to receive what we've been given. Okay, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying we've only been given the grace to navigate today. Earlier in the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. God, provide for me what I need now. Okay, look here. I know it's getting late, but hang with me. Do you know why we worry and struggle with anxiety? It's because we're trying to solve tomorrow's problems when we haven't yet received the grace to navigate those issues. We're taking on a burden that we have yet to receive the grace to navigate. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, tomorrow's worries are going to handle itself. God is faithful today. Trust him today. And tomorrow when you need more grace, you'll receive more grace. How many of you would say, man, there were situations in my life that I've had to walk through where I did not know how I was going to make it, but God showed up and he was faithful and walked alongside me? How many would say that? Okay, then why would we doubt that he wouldn't do that tomorrow? Worry stems from trying to tackle tomorrow's issues today. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do something a little bit different to close, and I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads with me for a second. The band's going to come out. Listen, you don't need to put anything away right now. You don't need to pack up. No one's going to steal your stuff while your eyes are closed. You know, you don't need to have worry or anxiety about that right now. Um, but we sang a song earlier in our worship set, and the bridge went like this. It just simply said, we trust you. We trust you, for your ways are higher than our own. And listen, we've done this in, in every service, and what we want to do is... Um, I want to have Pastor Ryan sing that over us. But I just don't want to sit here and go through the motions and just the weight of this message and the reality of what it means in our lives. It's so practical and it's so relevant. We need to respond. And so here's what I'm going to do. If you're here and you're in, maybe you're in a situation and maybe it's a specific circumstance and it's scary 
and you're tempted right now to run down the trail of worry and anxiety and trying to control every situation, and you need to declare, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to choose faith. I'm going to choose trusting in your character. Maybe it's a lifelong pattern of worry and anxiety that you are just desperate for God to break the chains of in your heart like he did for my daughter. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a, a child that you worry about or a sibling or, or even a spouse. Um, I wanna give us some freedom right now to respond to the Lord. So here's what that means. Um, that means that there's some of you that need to come down and you know that you need to because the spirit's pressing in on your heart. You need to just come down front and kneel right in front of the stage. That you need to show the Lord, I'm bowing my fears before you because I'm your child. And if you need to come forward in, in, a, in a conversation between you and the Lord to show that I'm submitting myself to you, I'm just gonna ask you to come forward and do that now. Amen. We're choosing right now faith. We're choosing trust. We're choosing that the enemy is not going to have a stronghold in our lives and cause us to have anxiety and worry. Some of you who need to come down front, um, there's others of you in here who need to just put out your hands on your lap and say, God, I'm opening my hands to you in this situation. I trust that you're good. I trust that you're in control. There's some of you who need to raise your hand and say, God, I'm believing these promises. I'm not worried about the method of response. I'm worried about you being honest with the Lord and doing what you need to do right now.